love you. We praise you. We glorify you today in the mighty name of Jesus. God, we thank you for your word. We thank you that it's alive and that it's active and that it's sharper than any double-edged sword. God, we pray today that you'd use this word to change us, challenge us, and to convict us. Father, as, as you see fit, God, would you dig into the marrow of our, of our bones and dig into the sinews of our, of our hearts. God, lead us uh, to, to your pastors, God. Let us not walk in our own ways, God, but let us live a way that's pleasing to you. Father, speak directly to us today. In Jesus' mighty name, amen. We'll be in 2 Samuel 19 this morning. I think we're actually going to finish 2 Samuel 19. Uh, Pastor Kevin will be 2 Samuel 20 next week. Uh, I expect that you guys will come and support because it, uh, it's going to be good. All right. Remember this. As we're going through this today, God knew what we were going to preach today, right now, at this time. And so I want you to not think about somebody else and think, man, I wish somebody else was listening to this message. This message is for you. And so I want you to apply it to your life. So be in 2 Samuel 19, starting verse 40. It says, now the king went on to Gilgal and Chimham went on with him and all the people of Judah escorted the king and also half the people of Israel. Just then all the men of Israel came to the king and said to the king, why have our brethren men of Judah stolen you away and brought the king, his household, and all David's men with him across the Jordan. So all the men of Judah answered the men of Israel, because the king is a close relative of ours. Why then are you angry over this matter? Why do I hear it in such a whiny voice? Have we ever eaten at the king's expense, or has he ever given us any gift? And the men of Israel answered the men of Judah and said, We have ten shares in the king, therefore we also have more right to David than you. Why then do you despise us when were we not the first to advise bringing back our king? Yet the words of the men of Judah were fiercer than the words of the men of Israel. So what are we dealing with today? We're still dealing with King David returning to Jerusalem. And now we have the kingdom of Judah and Israel arguing over who's got more influence with the king. David's coming back. He's been gone. Absalom unrightfully took over as king. David's coming back. And so you've got the 10 northern tribes of Israel and the southern kingdom of Judah, and they're arguing and saying, oh, he's our king. And no, he's our king. And, and one side's like, hey, he's our bloodline. The other side's like, well, we've got 10 tribes and you've got zero tribes. And, and, and so we're better than you. And he's our king. And, and, and it just, it's a big argument, man. At the, at the, in my Bible, it actually says the quarrel about the king. That's what, that's what the title of this section is, the quarrel about the king. And then what's worse is at the end, it goes even worse, and it says, yet the words of the men of Judah were fiercer than the words of the men of Israel. Some uh, translations say sharper or fiercer. And so not only are these guys arguing, but they're arguing in a bad way, and they're letting their words get the best of them, and they're saying really bad things. Here, here's, here's the issue, and this is what we're talking about today. David will eventually die, Solomon will take over, and then the kingdom of Israel will split. There'll be the kingdom of Judah and the kingdom of Israel. And uh, King Rehoboam will be, will be there, Rehoboam, or however you say it. And, and there's going to be a, a long-term civil war that will uh, exist between Israel and uh, Judah. And so in this, we see that there's going to be an embattled civil war. And this right here in this story is the beginning of it. This is the root of it. 
Every single disagreement or argument has a root. It has a place in which it started. Arguments never just come out of nowhere. They usually start somewhere. And so the title that I chose for today's message is how to start a civil war, because these guys are going to enter in eventually into a civil war. And this is the root of it. This is the place at which it starts. Now, why do people use the term civil war? I don't know, because it's a contradiction in terms. You can't have a civil war, but it's what they use for people that should not be fighting with each other that are now at war. And all division has a root somewhere, whether it's division in your relationships or in your business or in your church, your family, even within a country, uh, you will see division. And, and we've been seeing a lot of division. If you watch the news or read the news, I, I at least in my lifetime, I can't think of a time that there's been more polar uh, polarity, just division, man, just fights over simple stuff to big stuff and everything in between. It seems that everybody is embattled against somebody with anything. Uh, and it's over small stuff and big stuff. It's over, uh, you know, racial division or disease or masks or politics or schools or sports. There's no nuance. It's either all or nothing. People are looking for a reason to be divisive. Literally, we're moving into a, a time that we're probably going to see First Christian Church of the Mask and First Christian Church of the No Mask and uh, First Christian Church of the Public School and the, uh, you know, the Black Lives Matter or the, the, the COVID or whatever. Like, like there's so much division that is going on right now. And I thought it was beautiful how the Lord just placed this little uh, bit of scripture about civil war and how it could speak to us in our hearts because... The title of the message, How to Start a Civil War, isn't because I want you to start a civil war. It's because I want you to realize the futility in it and how stupid it is and how you won't start a, 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 a civil war. But as we walk through it, we can glean stuff from it and say, do you know what? I don't want that for my marriage. I don't want that for my family. I don't want that for my church. I don't want it for my business. And I don't want it for my country. We're all supposed to be on the same team. It's futile. It's dumb. It's stupid. We shouldn't do it. Civil war in and of itself makes no sense because there never should have been a war in the first place. So the title of the message is how to start a civil war. So let's get into it. The first point I want to make to you is this, is that the, the, the beginning of how to start a civil war is forgetting whose team you're on, forgetting whose team you're on. Verse 41, just then all the men of Israel came to the king and said to the king, why have our brethren, the men of Judah stolen you away? And brought the king, his household, and all of David's men with him across the Jordan. Now, Judah and Israel are both the bloodline and the brethren of each other because Israel was all one nation. God called Abraham and he created the nation of Israel. And so Judah is part of Israel and Israel is part of Judah. There's 12 tribes of Israel and they're all of the same group of people. And so the foundation of this war is seen in this scripture where it says the men of Israel came to the king and said to the king, watch this. Why have our brethren, the men of Judah, they're already admitting and saying, these guys are our, are our brethren. These guys are our brethren. They, they know it. They understand it. But then they forget that part and they go to the other part that says, stolen you away to be our king. They, they never should have gotten to the stolen you away and brought the king. They should have stayed on the part that says, why have our brethren? Because that's really the, the beginning of a lot of quarrels and arguments and divisive uh, rhetoric that happens within people. 
is people forget that they are on the same team. Israel and Judah are the same team. They're both Israel. They, they have the same bloodline. They have the same God and they have the same purpose. They have the same mission, but they have forgot that these are their countrymen and the blood relatives of Israel. The, it shouldn't matter. It shouldn't matter at all. What should matter is the king is back. <clears throat> What should matter is Absalom is no longer an unrightful king, but David has returned to Jerusalem. They should be coming together and being excited and worshiping God and heralding the return of the king. But they didn't. They forgot the team that they were on, that Israel is God's team, that they're supposed to be fighting the enemy and not each other. They should be living out Psalm 133.1, Behold how good and pleasant it is, for brethren to dwell together in unity. Look at the stories of the Old Testament. God never said to Israel, do you know what? I want you guys to fight with each other and that's going to be the means by which you're going to win wars. No, God said, do you know what? You're going to be my chosen people. You're going to be my chosen nation. And if you would stick together, we are going to do big, amazing things on this planet. Deuteronomy chapter 20. I want to show you this. I'm going to uh, I want to show you this as a means to uh, describe to you what God says to Israel. And again, it's always what isn't said, not what is said. Look for division in this. Deuteronomy chapter 20, verse 1. When you go out to battle against your enemies and see horses and chariots and people more numerous than you, do not be afraid of them. For the Lord your God is with you who brought you up from the land of Egypt. So it shall be when you are on the verge of battle that the priest shall approach and speak to the people. And he shall say to them, Hear, O Israel, today you are on the verge of battle with your enemies. Do not let your heart faint. Do not be afraid and do not tremble or be terrified because of them. For the Lord your God, it is he who goes with you to fight for you against your enemies to save you. He does not say you guys are going to divide and create two different nations and expect that you're going to have victory. That's not what he says. He says you're going to go out together. You're going to win together. And it's no different in your life. People forget who they married. They forget who their family is, who their boss, employer, their church, their countrymen, their country. Somehow we, we get sucked into this division and this, uh, this idea that somehow we're not connected with each other. And that's where civil wars start. Civil wars start with forgetting whose you are and who you are. Have you forgot whose team that you're on? Have you been battling with your spouse when you are one flesh? But battling with your spouse makes no sense, man. Crystal and I have said during this time, and it's, it's been trying times for all of us uh, during this uh, last few months. And, I, and, and me and Crystal have reflected many times. I said, can you imagine having to go through this and not getting along? Like, can you imagine that? Like, no, like I, I don't want to. It's bad enough with everything else going on around me. I want to get along with my spouse. Have you, have you forgot that it's your family, your church, your neighbors, your countrymen? Friend, we're, we're all on the same team here. We're, we're all stuck here on the same planet in the same country. We might as well get along. The truth is, is that some people love to argue and cause division. I've seen it. <laughs> they only feel better when they're arguing. They only feel better when there's division. They just wring their, their dirty little hands and love to watch people fighting because it gives them a sense of power and influence to know that they started it and they continue it. And I, and I don't understand it because some people just, they love it, but it is not biblical. It's not God's design. It's not God's design for his people, for, for his church, for families. It's not his design at all. First Corinthians one ten. 
Now I plead with you, brethren, by the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that you all speak the same thing and that there be no divisions among you, but that you be perfectly joined together in the same mind and in the same judgment. Could it be any more clear than that? Well, luckily I had a little bit of time this week and I was able to find some more scriptures and I'm going to read them to you. They'll be uh, probably flashed on the bottom of the screen here. And I want to read them all to make a point. This isn't all of them, but this is a good handful. First Peter 3, 8. Finally, all of you be of one mind, having compassion for one another. Love as brothers, be tenderhearted, be courteous. Philippians 2, 2. Fulfill my joy by being like-minded, having the same love, being of one accord and one mind. Second Corinthians 13, 11. Finally, brethren, farewell, become complete, be of good comfort, be of one mind, live in peace, and the God of love and peace will be with you. Ephesians 4, 3. Endeavoring to keep the unity of the spirit of the bond of peace. Romans 15, 6, that you may with one mind and one mouth glorify God, the father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Romans 12, 16, be of the same mind towards one another. Do not set your mind on high things, but associate with the humble. Do not be wise in your own opinion. Philippians 1, 27, only let your conduct be worthy of the gospel of Christ. So whether I come and see you or am absent, I may hear of your affairs that you stand fast in one spirit with one mind striving together for the faith of the gospel. Can you, in any of those scriptures, justify and say God appreciates and loves division? No. The answer is no, you cannot. It's impossible because the scriptures are abundantly clear that God designs unity within his people. Now, I understand that within a church, this shouldn't be that hard to accomplish. But outside of the church, it's understandable because the the world doesn't see the world the way that we do because of us being who we are. But at the minimum, within our, within our families, within our marriages, within our churches, like we should be able to maintain unity. Like we're, we're all just, how do we say this, man? We're all a bunch of blind people in the room looking for the same light switch. Like, why do we think we're any better than anybody else? God's design is for unity. And the way that you start a civil war and you quit having unity is you forget whose team that you're on. We are all the body of Christ. We are all his children. We are all sinners in need of a savior. But for some reason, we seem to forget that. And all of a sudden, we want to get fighting and upset with somebody over something that, frankly, usually doesn't matter. I don't know how much clearer scripture could be that division and disunity in the church is not God's design. Uh, Many of you know my illustrious career at Ballard High School as a uh, football player. Um, I do not try to uh, paint that picture with anything less than the truth. I was not great at football. I was okay. Most of it was just because of my size. Like being in the way is to your ability when you're a bigger guy on the football team, especially on the offensive line. You just have to be in the way and it helps. But what, what I never understood was when I was at uh, Old Ballard High School, for whatever reason, Every year when I was a freshman and a sophomore on the first day of the rain, we would get out of school at 2.15, practice would start at 2.30. But for whatever reason, on the days that there was rain, they would always, uh, the coaches wouldn't come out till 2.45. And the reason why they wouldn't come out till 2.45 is because for about 15 minutes, all the upperclassmen would completely destroy the freshmen and sophomores in the mud. When I say destroy, like they would drag us up and down the field. They would fill our helmets with mud. They'd literally like roll us back and forth in mud puddles. And there was goose poop out there and stuff. And they would roll us around and stuff. And and it was just demoralizing. Like it, it's bullying, it's hazing, it's all those things. 
And the, the most interesting part about it is that the coaches would come out and we would just, us freshmen, we would just be covered in mud. And I'd look at them and I'd be like, do you notice that something happened to us? And they would just look through us and just be like, hey, well, I don't even notice anything that happened. Interestingly enough, uh, we didn't really do really well at Ballard High. We, we didn't win a, a whole lot of games. We never won a championship. We, I don't think we even went to the playoffs my whole entire four years I was there. Why? Because we were not a team. There was so much infighting within our team. There was so much division and, and, and it was, I mean, I, I talked to you about some hazing, but it was much more than that. We didn't support each other. We didn't build each other up. People didn't hang out outside of football. And that's just a small little microcosm that I'm sure anybody that's ever been on a sports team can identify with. There's no way that team could have won with that level of discord. Take that and apply it to your own life and your marriage and your church and your business and all these other areas. You, you can't expect to roll somebody in the mud and then think that you're going to win. It's just not going to work. When you cause, take part in, or fan the flames of division, you are a tool of Satan. That's just, I, I can't make it any clearer. You are a tool of Satan. Why? Because Satan loves division. Satan loves disunity. Satan's language is hate and fear and disunity, retribution, destruction, discord. As Christians, we're called to be peacemakers. We're, we're supposed to step in and bring peace or step away from division. We're not supposed to be the ones that are causing division. And if you're a Christian that causes division, today is your day. Today is your day to repent of that and say, Lord, I've caused division. And I don't want to do that anymore. And I'm not going to take part in it anymore because you don't uh, desire that for me. Many times when I'm talking to married people who are fighting, I'll literally make them stop and look at each other and say, uh, remind yourselves who you made vows to. Remind yourself whose team that you're on. And Crystal and I, when we talk to married people, uh, I always have to remind them, I am not on anybody's side. I'm on the side of your family. So like, you know, the, 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 the Vettel of each family or whatever. I'm like, we're on team Vettel of each. We're not on, uh, the, uh, we're on the Schmuckatelli team. Like we're not... Or I have to say those, no one in our church is named Vedelevich or Schmuckatelli. Uh, but, but the married people, they'll think like, oh, you're trying to take their side. I'm not, to, I'm trying to bring unity, man. I'm trying to bring togetherness. So we're, we're on the team of your family to see in this family flourish. Romans 14, 19 says, therefore, let us pursue the things which make for peace and the things by which one may edify one another. That's our calling. That's what we're supposed to do. And we miss that calling when we forget whose team that we're on. As I was working on this sermon, I was thinking about uh, the many fights that Crystal and I have had throughout our marriage. And we've been married for 23 years. And surprise, Crystal and I fight sometimes. Uh, I know, it's surprising. Uh, and probably 95% of the time, it's <laughs> my fault. Uh, why? I don't know. It just is. Because my wife's perfect. That's why. Um <clears throat> But it was interesting. I was sitting down and I always like to have examples. And I was, I was really trying to think and say, you know, let me talk about this time we had an argument and how it turned out. And as I was thinking about it, I couldn't think of a time that we had an argument. I know we've had them and I know we've had arguments, but as I was going through my mind, trying to remember one, my mind went blank. I couldn't remember them. Why? Because we, we don't argue for more than a couple hours. Like when we argue and, and we fight, Typically, uh, one of us within a, an hour or two will come up and be like, I'm sorry. I don't know why. Why are we even fighting? 
And what are we fighting about? Because we usually even forget what we're fighting about. Our kids will walk through the kitchen sometimes while we're fighting and they'll laugh at us and be like, would you guys stop? Because you guys fight over the dumbest stuff ever. And it's true because we'll ask each other, why are we even doing this? I'm so sorry. Friend, no team can win. No unit can have cohesion. No family can flourish. Not a church, not a city, not a nation without unity. It just can't exist. And if you continue to, to, to forget whose team that you're on, it just is, it's going to start a civil war. Secondly, what starts a civil war is being selfish, being selfish. Verse 42, so all the men of Judah answered the men of Israel, because the king is a close relative of ours. Why then are you angry over this matter? Have you ever eaten at the king's expense or has he given us any gift? Now, it's interesting uh, that, that as they begin to argue, and the Bible says this is a quarrel, Israel and Judah are fighting, and, and the men of Judah are grasping at straws here. So they're trying to make it about them. And they said, well, the king is a close relative of ours. Like, he's our king. He's not really your king. We've already forgot the fact that we're both on the same team, but even more so because David came from Judah. He's our kin. He's not your kin. Really? He's a relative of Israel just much as he's a, a king of Judah. But Judah selfishly is saying, you know what? What, I, what, what, what we have and what we want is more important than what you have and what you want. We're going to make this argument about us. It's going to be about us. And that, that is another part of what starts a civil war is selfishness. It's saying who I am is more important than you are. It's putting myself first and saying, I desire what I desire because I know it's going to benefit me. And th- this, <clears throat> this civil war, the root of it is self. It's self, uh, selfishness. They forget, man, this guy's our relative and, and he's, <laughs> Judah's like, well, he's yours too, but technically he's more ours. <laughs> Not at all. Friends, this is one of the reasons why the Bible is such a timeless book. It speaks directly to the heart condition of men. It does not change with the times. Selfishness existed in Genesis and and Revelation. It existed today, a year ago, and 10 years from now, if we make it that long, there will still be selfishness. This This is one of the core conditions of sinful man. The Bible says in James 3.16, for where envy and self-seeking exist, confusion and every evil thing are there. When you peel back the onion and you look at the, the, even the stuff that's going on right now, these riots that are happening in Seattle and Portland, it's selfishness. It's saying what I want is more important than what other people want. What I desire is more important than what other people desire. And people say, well, aren't, uh, aren't these people able to fight for a cause and all that stuff? I'm not, we're not getting into that this morning. The point is, is people's heart condition is I want what I want at the expense of somebody else. And I don't care who gets hurt in the process. See, selfishness can ruin you and others. And, and I know that it's real because I know that I still have to fight it within myself. And so if I have to fight it within myself, I'm, a, I'm going to assume that you have to fight it in yourself as well. Uh, in first service, we were in the parking lot. I made people raise their hands because I was feeling kind of alone. But there was a ton of selfish people here this morning. A bunch of people that were raising their hands. And so I can't see you through the screen. But I hope that you're raising your hand saying, man, that's me. I'm selfish too. Because we all are. I know that it just lives inside of me because selfishness says what I need and what I want is more important than you and I have to fight it. It's like this. 
How, how many of you have ever tried to manipulate a, uh, a conversation when it was time to choose where you were going to go out to eat so that you could go where you wanted to go? Like, I know that that's what I do because when my family gets together and they're like, oh, where do you want to go to meet? I have this false humility. I'm like, oh, it's whatever, man. I'm, like, I'm cool with ever. It's a lie. Like deep down inside, there's somewhere I want to go and there's somewhere I don't want to go. And I selfishly try to manipulate the conversations to make sure that we get to where I want to go to get the food that I want. Like even right now, as I'm preaching, I'm thinking about how I'm going to manipulate my wife and daughter to buy the food I want on the way home. I'm not even sure what I want, but I'm sure that I want what I want and I don't care what they want because I'm selfish. I'm selfish. And, I, and, and, and if you were honest, you're probably just as selfish too. But that selfishness can start wars. It can start division. It's the root of what happens here with Israel. And if we were honest, it's a root in our life as well. The Bible doesn't say that we should be selfish, though. The Bible says in 1 Corinthians 10, 24, let no one seek his own, but each one the other's well-being. Friend, are you constantly checking your selfishness? Have you asked yourselves, like, why is this so important to me? Why, why am I acting this way? See, typically we try to protect ourselves from embarrassment or pain or misery because we want to get what we want. And, and, and we really, like the Bible says, consider others better than ourselves. But our heart condition always is like, we consider ourselves to be better than the other person. And so we don't want to serve them. We want to serve ourselves. So we protect ourselves at all costs, but that's not the way of Jesus. It's not that we, what we desire, or excuse me, it's not what he desires of us, but it's what we desire of ourselves. I, I can't see you, but I would ask this question. of how many of you were, uh, there's two types of kids growing up, either kids that got sugar cereal and kids that didn't get sugar cereal. And I was the abused child that didn't get sugar cereal. I wonder, sometimes my mom watches these sermons. I wonder if she's watching right now. Mom, all of my issues are connected to the fact that you did never bought us sugar cereal. (laughs) I mean, what kind of parent buys kids cornflakes? right? Cornflakes and rice. Have you ever eaten a bowl of Rice Krispies without any sugar on it? It's like eating styrofoam, like, and kicks and Cheerios without sugar. Like we, my mom would never buy us cereal with sugar. And then all we would do would take the sugar bowl and just shove a bunch of sugar on there and get the sugar sludge on the bottom. Man, the sugar sludge that was living right there. Every once in a great while, God bless my mother. The Lord would speak directly to my mother. She would hear from heaven and then she would buy us a box of sugared cereal. And it was usually like every once in a great while, it'd be like uh, uh, honey nut Cheerios. This is like half a step up, step up from normal Cheerios. But if my mom was feeling super generous, boy, she'd buy us some golden grams. Now, now I can slam on some golden grams. Now, here's what would happen, though, is that mom would buy the, the smallest box, mind you, of golden grams, and me and my brother would figure it out, and then it was a mad rush to see who could eat the box before the other person could get to it. So we would literally get up in the morning at like five in the morning and just start pounding on it, making ourselves sick. So when the other brother woke up, you're like, sorry, bro. All the golden grams are gone. I was hungry and I ate it all. We would do it to each other all the time. Man, I'm going to get some golden grams for lunch today. Here's, why do I tell you that story? 
is that the, the, the story of my childhood is the story of our lives. We, if we were honest, man, so many times we want to eat that box of cereal and don't care if anybody else gets a bite. We, 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 we act like we care, but you know, people don't, they, they're like, Oh, here, have some of the cereal. And in your heart, you're like choke on it. Cause I want to eat it after you die. Like that, that's how people think because they're utterly and completely selfish. And, and we can't expect to have unity in our lives if we, if we can't root out the selfish nature inside of us. And scripture speaks very clearly about the dangers of selfishness. That's why it challenges us in Philippians chapter two, verse three, let nothing be done through selfish ambition or conceit, but in lowliness of mind, let each esteem others better than themselves. See, here's what happens in the end times. And it says it in Philippians chapter two, verse 21, for all seek their own, not the things which are of Christ Jesus. Friends, we're living that scripture out right now. Second Timothy three, two, for men will be lovers of themselves, lovers of money, boasters, proud, blasphemers, disobedient to parents, unthankful, unholy. Oh, excuse me. Second Peter three, three, knowing this first, the scoffers will come in the last days, walking according to their own lusts. That's selfishness. The civil wars of our lives within our, ourselves, our relationships, or, or, or larger scale things, it starts with not remembering who we are and whose we are, but it continues when we become selfish. We care about ourselves more than we care about our brethren. We care about somebody else. We don't consider others better than ourselves. We think of ourselves more highly than we ought. And so the answer is, is to stop being selfish. Quit making it all about you. Here's the third part. You start a civil war by being argumentative. Verse 43, and the men of Israel answered the men of Judah and said, we have 10 shares in the king. Therefore, we also have more right to David than you. Why then do you despise us? Were we not the first to advise bringing back our king? I always think it's very interesting the things the Bible does not include. The Bible seems to always include failures as a means to teach us something. Like, how come there, again, there's no one in this story that says, and then the men of Israel said, you know what? We want unity. Let's figure out, let's sit down together and figure out how we can make this right. No, Israel's like, okay, you're bringing up the Judah thing. We're bringing up the 10 tribes thing. That's what we're doing. You think you're better than us because you're Judah? Well, we got 10. Now what? We got 10 times as much, son. Bring it. We're going to be, we're going to be the ones that are going to be in charge of the king. We were the first to advise. It was our idea to bring back to the king. Have you guys ever heard that saying that says it's amazing how much a team can accomplish when no one cares who gets the credit? That's what happens, man. People want the credit. They just want to continue to argue about stuff. Basically, we have more people. We said it first. Therefore, we get more and we deserve more. It's just an argument. That's all it is. It's a means by which Israel is trying to redirect to make an argument. And people do this all the time. Not myself. Okay, maybe me sometimes. People do this all the time, and it's the but, 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 but this, but now what? Well, you didn't think about this, and you remember what happened a week ago, or a month ago, or three years ago, or seven years ago. This is what happened, and now I'm going to argue with you about it because I do not want to have unity. I just want to argue. I just want to continue this thing along. Putting forward a for get full selfish mindset to get what I want. Why are you doing this at my job? I was hired first. Why are you doing this at my church? I was here before you and that's my seat. And this is my parking spot. And this is my ministry. 
I'm older than you. I have more education than you. I'm smarter than you. It's just arguing, man. I absolutely hate arguing. I, I, I get no pleasure from it whatsoever. I know a lot of people that love arguing. They'll do it at every turn, man. They, 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 if they're not arguing, they're not living. For me, I want the thing to end fast because I just don't want to argue. I don't enjoy it. It makes my stomach hurt. But some people just seem to feed off of it. I love what my grandpa said. My grandpa, I think he's 88 years old. And my grandma's been dead now for like five years. And, I, and I've talked to my grandpa in the past. And I said, Grandpa, how, how, what did you and grandma used to fight about? And he said, man, we never fought. I said, how is it possible that you and grandma never fought? And he said, because I never argued with her. I was like, wait, what do you mean? So like your whole marriage, you guys never fought? He said, nope. What good is it to argue? He said, even if I argue with your grandmother and I win, what have I really won? Because I won at the expense of her heart. So I just decided to say, I'm never going to argue with her. I said, but what about your needs? He said, are my needs more important than not arguing? He said, eventually my needs get met. He said, I just don't want to argue with your grandmother. I love that, man. I think it's such, such great advice from my grandfather. Second Timothy chapter two. Let me show you this. Second Timothy chapter two, verse 23, 24. It says, but avoid foolish and ignorant disputes, knowing that they generate strife. Just avoid them, man. Stay away from them. And a servant of the Lord must not quarrel, but be gentle to all, able to, peach, to teach. I said peach, but it's teach and patient. Able to teach and be patient. God does not desire us to be argumentative. God desires for us to find a way for unity, a, a way for us to come together. Are you a quarrelsome person? Do you enjoy a fight? Like, do you, do you, drive, like, do you drive away from a fight and think like, man, I sure showed that person. That makes me feel really good. You carry on with it. I know, I know some people that do because they continue to fight. They continue. It's like, man, I love to argue. And, and I just hate it. I just can't stand it. The Bible actually teaches that it's okay if you don't get what you want. Do you realize that? Do you realize the Bible says that it's okay that if someone else gets and you don't, that you get taken advantage of, it's totally okay. The Bible's fine with that. But here's what I want you to think about yourself. If you fight with your spouse you fight with your kids, your kids' school, your boss, your neighbor, church people, the government, traffic. The common denominator in that is you. Like, and, and if you hang out with somebody that's like that, eventually they're going to run out of people and they're going to come after you because they just love to fight. Watch this verse, James three seventeen. But the wisdom that is from above is first pure, then peaceable, gentle. Watch this, willing to yield, willing to yield. And, and that's, a, that's a scripture that a lot of Christians don't talk about much. But as Christians, the Bible declares that we should be willing to yield. We should be willing to be like, you know what, man? It's fine. You win, I lose. I don't care. Let's just move forward. Full of mercy and good fruits without partiality, without hypocrisy. Many of you have never even heard that scripture because you refuse to yield. You continue to fight because you love fighting. Um, but that's not godly. That's not what God decides for us at all. Romans 14, 19. Therefore, let us pursue the things which make for peace. 
That's the Bible says. If you're looking at it and it's continuing an argument, it's going to end badly. It's going to start a war. And so you should look at it and say, okay, how can I pursue peace in this situation? What could I do? Can I, can I not take part? Can I say something that's going to squash it? Do I not have to associate with this person? Whatever. But I'm not going to take part in something that is not making for peace. Because arguments start wars. That's what they do. And people lose their composure. And, and this, that's a contributing factor in the midst of this that we see within Israel and specifically in this story is it says this in verse 40, it says the words of the men of Judah were fiercer. The writer of second uh, Samuel doesn't even want to describe what it was. They just want to say it was so bad. It was harsh. It was not good. I don't know what those guys said, but I'm sure that some of you understand what it's like when people say things they shouldn't have said inside of an argument and they can't take those words back. That's what starts civil wars, man. It just does. Being louder doesn't make you right. Being fiercer doesn't, fiercer doesn't make you right. Being harsher doesn't make you right. It's not a good thing. And, and, and we, we're getting to the end of this thing, but I, I, I want to finish up this direction by saying, in addition to being argumentative, you've got to learn to control your tongue or your tongue is going to set things on fire in your life that you're not going to be able to get back. Watch this. Proverbs 21, 23, whoever guards his mouth and tongue keeps his soul from troubles. Psalm 37, 8, cease from anger and forsake wrath. Do not fret and only causes harm. Ephesians 4, 26, be angry. Do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your wrath, nor give place to the devil. Colossians 3, 8, but now you yourselves are to put off all these things. Anger, wrath, malice, blasphemy, filthy language out of your mouth. Ephesians 4, 29, let no corrupt word proceed out of your mouth, but what is good for necessary edification that it might impart grace to the hearers. Friend, do not start a war. Do not be argumentative. Do not be divisive. Don't forget who you are. We are all the family of God. We are all Christians and we need to fight for the unity. At least I may not be able to fix all the disunity on the planet, but I can at least fix the disunity in my own life and my own church, or at least I should be able to based on the scriptures. Amen. God wants to do great things through you and through me and through us together, but we are never going to be able to do it if we are forgetting who we are, being selfish and being argumentative. It's just not going to happen. And so we need to make a commitment to the Lord and say, you know what, God, whether it be on Facebook or in relationships, that's not going to be me. That's not what I'm going to do because I know you desire greater things for me. And so we've got to check ourselves, seek edification of others and push for love and unity. Amen. Amen. Hey, if you're, you can come. It's okay. If you're here this morning and you're watching online and you're not a Christian, uh, we would like to invite you to become one. It's really quite easy. Either you have given your life to Jesus or you haven't. Either you've been saved from your sins or you're not. And it's very easy. You just have to, and I would, wherever you're at right now, just raise your hands to heaven and say, Lord, forgive me of my sins. God set me free from the life of sin and death, Lord. I want to be a Christian. I want to follow you. And God will become so real to you right now. You got to turn away from your sins and turn towards Jesus. Let him forgive you and not go back to your sins. The Bible says, if you do that, you will be born again. You'll be saved. The Holy Spirit will come in and make you a new creation. If you're calling out to God for the first time today, man, send us a message, send us an email, let us know. We got some stuff we can send you. For the rest of us, man, myself included, all these messages apply to me as well. Let's not forget who we are and whose we are. Let's not live selfishly. Let's not be argumentative. 
because we don't want to start a civil war, not in our lives, not in our church, not in our country. We want unity because that's what God desires. Father, we pray today that this word would go down into our hearts, into our spirits, God, that we live a life that's pleasing to you. Father, we pray that you be glorified, that we live a life that you'd be pleased with. God, help us to remember whose we are, not to be selfish and not to be argumentative. Father, we thank you for today in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. I want to thank you guys so much for joining us today. Remember, look for stuff online, not in person this week. We're just